Hi, and welcome to Soul Powerful Parables, stories of rhyme, reason, and God's truth. I'm your host, Dana Buck. Thanks for listening. And if you like the story, please consider subscribing and give us a five-star rating where you enjoy your podcasts. It really helps us. We'd also love to hear from you, so contact us on Facebook at Soul Powerful Parables. Now, settle in, and let's have a story. You want me to do what? A So Powerful Parable by Dana Buck But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Judges 6, verses 15 through 16 The story of Gideon is the story of a most unlikely hero in the hands of a mighty God. You Want Me to Do What? A So Powerful Parable by Dana Buck. Long ago and far away, there lived a simple man, so young and unassuming, some say commonplace and bland. No hint of great accomplishment, no sense of grand design, unexceptional, pedestrian, innocuous, benign. Yet God looked past the outside, as he's often wont to do, and saw an open vessel that his glory could shine through. For the land of Israel was groaning under rank oppression, the judgment-filled result of disobedient transgressions. God had brought them forth from Egypt out of Pharaoh's hand just to have them dance with idols in their promised land. So, in his righteous anger, he consigned them to their foes and thus began a cycle of debilitating woes. Whenever they would plant a seed as food for man or beast, like famished guests at dinnertime came people from the east. From Midian on camels bringing plundering and fights, followed by their rowdy neighbors called Amalekites. They'd rampage and they'd pillage and they'd ransack and they'd battle, stealing all the fruit and grain, the oxen, sheep, and cattle. Impoverished and broken by these raiders from abroad, the people, fully humbled, finally cried aloud to God. So Yahweh shows his mercy as all Israel repents, and it's here our epic story of redemption will commence. The hero of our tale sure doesn't start that way at all, for we meet him threshing wheat within a wine press, dark and small. Unable to accomplish this out in the open air, his harvest would be gone should the invaders be aware. So Gideon, this nervous youth, declined to even risk it, and hides as he makes flour for a sandwich, roll, or biscuit. Yet God in all his wisdom doesn't choose as we would do, He sees a man's potential from his holy point of view. And so an angel from beneath a spreading shady tree shouts very loud, Great warrior, the Lord has chosen thee. 
Gideon is startled by this voice beneath the oak and reasons that this must be some distasteful prank or joke. If that is so, he answers with sarcasm in his voice, then why are we despondent while our foes dance and rejoice? Where are all the miracles our fathers wrote about? You'll pardon me if I react with pessimistic doubt. The angel said, You are the one, your chosen Gideon, to glorify the Lord and break the hold of Midian. Go ye forth in all your might, all Israel will fight them, and you will lead the way when God himself chooses to smite them. Said Gideon, Are you an angel or some kind of nut? Look at me, I'm just a kid. You want me to do what? I'm the youngest in my family. We're the least within our tribe. A more unlikely hero, quite a challenge to describe. The angel, he just sat there, didn't answer, didn't fret. Thought Gideon, well, maybe I had better hedge my bet. Good sir, he asked, will you remain while I go fetch some food? I will be here, the angel said, no change within his mood. So Gideon ran home, prepared some goat and pita bread, then hurried back and found the angel waiting, as he said. Please put the food upon that rock, the angel did command, then touched it with a walking stick he carried in his hand. As Gideon stood watching, cynicism half-concealed, flames then sprang up from the rock and vaporized the meal. The angel looked at Gideon and deftly raised his brow, as if to say, Okay, my friend, what's your opinion now? As ashes lay upon the rock where dinner used to be, the angel disappeared and left our hero by the tree. Oh my gosh, that was an angel, clearly from on high. I saw him face to face. I'm cooked. Now surely I will die. A voice then carried from above an utterance aloft. Peace be with you, have no fear. Good heavens, knock it off. The Lord then spoke to Gideon a step-by-step -step recital, his plan for purging Israel of foreign gods and idols. First go and fetch your father's bull, retrieve him from his stall, then take him to the spot where sits the altar built to Baal. Use him to pull down each stone, each pebble, rock, and clod. Destroy what's been constructed to that loathsome, beastly god. When that has been accomplished, hurry to your second goal. Cut down and turn to firewood their cursed Ashura pole. For these I find a great abomination in my sight, and surely will Baal's followers embitterment ignite. Gideon just stood there, tried to reason and rebut, but all he could come up with was, you want me to do what? They're gonna be so angry if we wreck their stone and wood. Can't we maybe paint some signs, protest and call it good? The Lord replied, you'll take the stones you've quarried from Baal's altar and build to me a platform as substantial as Gibraltar. A second bull you'll bring with you, cut from your father's herd, then sacrifice to me. This is my holy spoken word. Poor Gideon could see no way around the Lord's command, so he rounded up ten servants and he formed a little band. Waiting until darkness fell, they made their way by night, tearing down the objects so offensive in God's sight. 
Then building up an altar as the Lord proclaimed he should, they sacrificed the bull upon the cut Ashura wood. As Gideon stood silhouetted by the altar's fire, the thought of Baal's disciples and their wrath made him perspire. Early the next morning, all the priests clad in their robes and sporting piercings in their eyebrows, septums, lips, and lobes journeyed to their altar, bringing incense by the bowl to sacrifice to Baal and dance around their pagan pole. Imagine their amazement when the spot came into view and they saw the warm remains of last night's great big barbecue. It's heresy, all others hear the angry high priest cry. Whoever is responsible for this will surely die. Each then swore an oath to Baal upon their life and soul to kill the man who broke their altar and cut down their pole. So after passing bribes around the neighborhood, it seems one of Gideon's ten servants, he up and spilled the beans. The priests of Baal, armed and enraged with hot bloodlust to douse, all swore to kill young Gideon and marched right to his house. There gathered in the yard, the high priest shouted his demand, Surrender, enemy of Baal, release him to our hands. Inside the home, poor Gideon, so nervous and afraid, related to his father all about the midnight raid. I heard the voice of God, he said. His father stood amazed. I had to act for Israel so God would be obeyed. I'm sorry to involve you in this threat so vile and numbing. I'll go outside, confront them, and then take what I have coming. His father set his jaw, his eyes emblazoned now with fire reached out his arms and hugged his son. Our God is not a liar. For if his angel and his voice commanded your behavior, then you are not a criminal. My son, you are our savior. I'm sick of that disgusting God. That ball pollutes our land. It's time to send him packing. Yes, it's time to take a stand. You stay inside and seek the Lord. He turned but paused to add. Besides, you can't have all the fun. Leave this one for your dad. With that, he grits his teeth and strides determined across the floor. Then hollers, stop that racket, as he hurries through the door. The priests of Baal were taken back. Their bravado was gone. As they heard, what are you crackers doing on my lawn? They all step back a pace or two, each feeling their exposure. The high priest tries to rally them and restore their composure. Now see here, my good man, a nasty crime has been committed, the blame for which on Gideon your son is firmly fitted. His vandalism must be punished, payback for his gall. We vowed to sacrifice him and bring honor back to Baal. Honor back to Baal, the father said with some disdain. Is Baal so powerless that he can't guard his own domain? Who are you to act for him if vengeance is required? Let Baal take care of Baal, and not some lackeys that he's hired. Gideon, he is a soldier of the Lord Most High, and any man who touches him, that man will surely die. Now crawl back to your God, the angry father fiercely glowers. And watch your feet. Don't let me catch you stepping on my flowers. 
The pagan priests are flummoxed by this father's gruff display, till one by one they sheathed their swords and meekly slunk away. Young Gideon's renown enlarged, his fame was clear to all, known throughout all Israel for overthrowing Baal. And so it came to pass the host of Midian increased, along with the Amalekites and others from the east. Their hordes invaded Israel to desolate and steal, encamping all together in the valley of Jezreel. Gideon, he blew a trumpet, summoned Israel. They brought their swords and shields and spears. Their ranks began to swell. The Israeli army's gathering was very near complete when poor Gideon experienced a moment of cold feet. What if this plan is crazy? I could be insane, he said. What if the voice of God was just a voice within my head? I've got to know this enterprise is really God's command. So he came before the Lord of hosts, a sheepskin in his hand. A fleece I lay before you as the sun is going down. In the morning I'll return, and if perchance right here I found, the wool is wet with dewfall, yet the earth is dry as bone, then I'll know the voice I heard is truly yours alone. As Gideon lay down the fleece, he said a quick amen, then drifted back to camp to quietly rejoin his men. As evening turned to morning with his patience nearly spent, Gideon in all his armor darted from his tent. He hurried to the pasture where the boating sheepskin lies, noticing along the way the ground was parched and dry. Then coming to the spot, he said a prayer, lifted the wool, and found the fleece was wringing wet with dewfall. It was full. Well, that seems pretty clear, my lord, he said both dry and droll. Then from the fleece squeezed water, near a gallon in a bowl. He paused then to consider, felt a nagging question lurk. What if the moistened fleece was just some atmospheric quirk? Have I managed just to give the cosmic slot machine a pull? Am I betting all my chips upon a soggy piece of wool? He cocked an eye towards heaven. May I make one more request? One more signal, one more omen, one more sign, just one last test. If I lay the fleece again, yes, give this method one more try, and come the morning find the ground all wet, but this is dry, then I'll know what I must do beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'll proudly lead our troops and throw our adversaries out. So once again he laid that fleece upon the desert sand and hoped he wouldn't earn a stinging holy reprimand. But God, with patience to distribute, mercy to disperse, once more performed what do and fleece, but did it in reverse. So Gideon was satisfied when finally came the morn, and though the ground and grass were wet, the fleece was dry and warm. Okay then, stated Gideon, now what will be will be. He turned to rally up his troops and face the enemy. But prior to assembling them and putting them in ranks, he paused to offer prayers to God and render up his thanks. For over 30,000 men had come to join the fight, 
to battle mighty Midian and the Amalekite. Before he said amen and gave his head a final nod, his prayer was interrupted by the very voice of God. Gideon, you're now prepared to end the raids and looting. You've done a most amazing job with your army recruiting. There's just one little problem. Seems you've done the job so well, any credit for a victory would be claimed by Israel. The people all must know that I alone have brought them through. Your army's just too numerous, so here's what you must do. Make a grand announcement. Any man who finds this scary, frightening, unnerving, they should leave your military. The soldiers who remain, with these you'll guard the land and cattle, and the people all will know that it is I who won the battle. So Gideon accedes to what the Lord told him to do, and his men leave by the thousands, final total, twenty-two. With his army now depleted, his recruiting all in vain, he must face his fearsome foe with the ten thousand that remain. I think we still can win. I'm optimistic, not bereft. At least the bravest soldiers are the ones that I have left. So he boldly moves to face his adversaries great and vast, till he hears the utterance of God. Hold on now, not so fast. Sorry to dispel your spirit of enthusiasm. Gideon can feel his attitude and patience spasm. You've still too many soldiers in your center, rear, and flanks, so here's what you must do to further minimize your ranks. Take them to the river, ask each man to have a drink. Some will use their hands while others to their knees will sink. Those who drink directly from the water with their lips will not march with the army if that's how they take their sips. The men who lap the water like a canine from their hands, these will be the ones with whom you follow my commands. Gideon, who felt like he'd been punched right in the gut, in raw exasperation cried, You want me to do what? How about we have a contest and see who can fight the longest? Thrust a spear or use a sword? Who's fastest? Who's the strongest? You really want the measure of the men evaluated by the method they employ to see their thirst is satiated? The question went unanswered, no reply to contemplate. It was clear the Lord's commandment wasn't open for debate. So shrugging armored shoulders, picking up his bow and quiver, Gideon commanded, everybody to the river. Urging them to drink and then observing their technique, a mere three hundred dipped their hands for water in the creek. The rest he then excused and they departed in a horde with just three hundred men. He knew the battle was the Lord's. That evening Gideon threw on a cloak and went to spy. By the fire of his foes he caught the banter of two guides. One relates a dream. A loaf of bread rolled into camp, it hit our tent and flattened it, knocked down our chairs and lamp. That omen spells our doom, his overwrought companion cried. Now Gideon will conquer us, we're out of luck, we're fried. Taking heart from what these panicked soldiers had to say, Gideon returned to lead his men into the fray. 
Calling them together by the river on the beach, he organizes them in squads, 100 soldiers each. He issues them equipment, but it isn't swords or shields. Torches, jars, and trumpets are what every soldier wields. With a final prayer to heaven, troops of Gideon depart, surround the camp of Midian completely in the dark. Then at the given signal, all the soldiers break their jars, hold aloft their flaming torches, blow their trumpets to the stars. The sleeping camp erupts as every man flies from his bed, and they blindly fight each other till a host of them are dead. The rest jump on their camels, leaving order, strength, and pride, and flee into the darkness just as fast as they can ride. Gideon strolls through the camp, his torch in victory raised, yet stops to offer to the Lord the glory and the praise. And thus the God of Israel, his promise true and pure, produced a mighty hero from a boy scared and unsure. So what truth can we gather from this rousing ancient tale? A lesson in obedience, how God will never fail? It's really very simple, and so to the chase we'll cut. When to God you remonstrate, you want me to do what? Just take that phrase and rearrange the words a time or two, and you'll find yourself declaring, what do you want me to do? The story of Gideon is the story of God's amazing habit of using the insignificant and unlikely to accomplish his will. Gideon was the youngest in his family, and his clan was the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. This frightened young man is hiding from his enemies in a wine press when the angel of the Lord calls this least likely of heroes to deliver Israel from their enemies. And later, when Gideon has been too successful in raising an army, God dramatically reduces his forces by, of all things, how they choose to drink from a river. Why did God pick this young, frightened, and inexperienced boy and then shrink his army to a ridiculously small number? God's purpose was simple. So when the time came, no one in Israel could deny that it was the power of God that delivered them. God desires his people to know he loves and cares for them, even when they are lost in disobedience. He wants them in relationship with him, and he goes out of his way to show his amazing love, power, and forgiveness. It is no different with us today. God wants you to know that He is the same loving, forgiving, and all-powerful Father that He has always been. Are you feeling insignificant and unlikely? Then you are in the perfect place for Him to demonstrate that to you. All you have to do is ask. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. You Want Me to Do What? was written and narrated by Dana Buck. 
devotional thoughts were narrated by Kim Pratt, and this episode was produced by Beneath Blue Skies Productions. So Powerful Parables is a ministry of So Powerful, a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering women and girls and combating extreme poverty in the African country of Zambia. To find out more, visit our website at sopowerful.org. Also, check out our books, So Powerful Parables and We Are So Powerful, both available on Amazon. All proceeds from the sale of these books go to support the work of our ministry. And finally, check out our other podcast, The So Powerful Podcast, featuring interviews with those who have been touched by this special organization. Until next time, may your life always be filled with beautiful rhymes.